Well, good morning. We are talking, uh, as Jamie mentioned, too busy not to pray. So you pray with me as we get started this morning. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can come and talk to you, Father, in the busyness of our lives. Thank you for the fact that you are a living God, a breathing God, that you listen to us when we do pray, and that you not only hear our requests, Father, but you speak to us as well. We thank you for that. Father, thank you for your word and what you can teach us through your word. So powerful. Father, pray that we can apply that message this morning. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, Father. And that we will not just be hearers of this word, but we will be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, as Pastor Jamie mentioned, this is our last uh, sermon in this series, Too Busy Not to Pray. And uh, hopefully you've been uh, with us through this whole series. It's been a wonderful time, as you can see behind us. Uh, all the prayer requests that have been been lifted up and, and submitted, you'll see all these sticky notes all around here, and there's a whole lot more over in the sanctuary. Throughout this whole service, we've been encouraging you to pray, to lift your requests up. And it's been awesome for the staff as we've had a chance to uh, transfer those two sticky notes and to pray for you as well during this process, during this, this whole time. And one of the things that's amazing about prayer that we've been talking about is really we can't be too busy to pray. We can't be too busy to pray. And I think from the passage this morning, we're going to find out that Jesus was never too busy to pray. But one thing about prayer that often gets overlooked, you know, when we talk about prayer and we do series about prayer, we talk about lifting requests up, submitting them, praying to God, praying for others, praying for our country, praying for his direction, praying for his discernment in life. One of the things that often gets overlooked is the fact that, as I prayed already, that God is a living God and he speaks to us and prompts us to action. He prompts us to action. He speaks to us. He does. It's not just about, hey, God, I, I, I pray you give me wisdom and direction in this. He speaks to us in life. You know, one of the things that's very powerful for me is I know that there's many times that God has prompted me to action, that he has spoken to me in my life. One of which, and many of you know this story, is how I met my wife, Deb. Uh, Deb and I have been married for uh, over 15 years, and I remember meeting her in college. It was the second day of college, and uh, I was there. It was at Geneva College, about 30 miles north of here. And uh, I remember uh, I did not know anybody at Geneva. It was my second day of class there, and it was orientation. And uh, <laughs> we were in a group kind of like this, and uh, they were trying to do fun things to get all the freshmen comfortable and, and used to being at school and getting to know people. And I remember sitting there, didn't know anybody except my roommate next to me who I just met for uh, the first time uh, a day ago. Didn't know anybody else, and uh, I'm sitting there, and my wife, Deb, walks out onto the stage to do a skit to kind of break the ice for all the freshmen. And I'm telling you, <laughs> I, it's amazing. As soon as Deb walked out on the stage, I knew immediately that I was supposed to marry her. Immediately. I even talked to my, looked at my roommate and said, do you know who that is? He said, no. I said, I think I'm supposed to marry her. He said, don't ever tell anybody that again. (laughs) What was amazing is that every time I saw Deb around campus, I felt like I was supposed to marry her. So I started praying. I said, God, either take her out of my mind or make her available to me to marry. When I met Deb, I realized she was engaged to somebody else. (laughs) That was a bad sign. 
But every time I saw her, I knew I felt like I was supposed to marry. So I said, God, either make her available or take her out of my mind. God, make her available or take her out of my mind. For six months, I prayed that. I even vowed that I wouldn't date anybody else until Deb was married to me or somebody else because I felt that prompting so overwhelming. I never told Deb. Six months later, uh, that relationship broke, uh, obviously ended. I had nothing to do with that ending of that relationship. That guy is still living and breathing well. (laughs) Deb and I started dating and got to know each other. Within six months, we were engaged. Within 11 months, we were married. I finally told Deb after we were close to engagement time that God prompted me that I was supposed to marry you. But it was through prayer. I said, God, take her out of my mind or make her available. That's happened time and time again for my life. I remember when I went to, uh, for my master's degree, I was going for uh, family and marriage therapy. That was my goal, to be a licensed professional counselor. Well, my time on campus, I had gone through, I was already in two years into my master's degree, when God prompted me while on campus that I was supposed to go into full-time ministry that I was supposed to go into the seminary. And I remember feeling so overwhelmed by that prompting that I took the next semester off. I said, Deb, I feel like I'm supposed to go into ministry. I feel like God's prompting me to that. So for the next uh, about five months, we prayed about that. Hey, God, if this is your direction, open the doors. It didn't make any sense at the time. I was almost done with my master's degree. I was almost done. Didn't make any sense at the time. God prompted me to action. Time and time again, that's happened in my life. One of the things that it's happened so frequently is that Deb and I really are waiting and relying on God's prompting for major decisions in our own life. Major decisions. Because we know that if we follow that, God's going to bless that. And oftentimes it doesn't make any sense at all. I remember when we were, uh, I worked with the Silver Ring thing for a number of years, 10 years, most of you know that. We were at a church up in Michigan. We were doing an event there. Walked in, felt like God was calling me to that church. In some aspect, some capacity. I went and said, Deb, if, if, if that church ever calls us up here for any reason, we need to go. Doesn't make any sense at all. About two years later, the church called. Said, we need you up here. Deb and I went up there for six months. It was God's prompting. We prayed about it. God moved us in that direction. So prayer is powerful because not only do we have the opportunity and ability to lift our prayers up, but God God speaks to us. The question is, is are we going to be receptive to the promptings He gives us? Are we going to be receptive? As you look at the the passage here this morning from Mark, Mark chapter 1, we see that Jesus took time to pray. Not only did he take time to pray, but he was prompted to action and he moved based on that action. It's interesting as I look at this passage, this is the passage I use, I realized as I looked at it this week, that this is the passage I use for uh, when I do a marriage, a wedding. I talk to the uh, couples about this particular passage, about making God the center and priority of your life so that he could move you based on his promptings. What do we do? I hopefully you have your Bibles. I encourage you to turn there. We're in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. What happened to Jesus at this time? 
what got him from point A to point B. First off, despite his busyness, Jesus understood his first priority. Despite his busyness, Jesus understood his first priority. It says very early in the morning while it was still dark. Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning while it was still dark. Very early in the morning, you have to understand, refers to the first watch. Okay, It's between 3 and 6 a.m. You say, well, that's not that big of a deal, Jared. I get up early. I, I spend time with, uh, uh, with my father. I, I pray. I have my quiet time very early in the morning. It's not that big of a deal until you understand the background of this passage. If you have your Bibles, I, want, I encourage you to look at the few verses just prior to. It'll be on the screen behind me. Mark 1, 29 through 34. It says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went, to, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. He said, okay, so, so the night before, it was the Sabbath. The day before was the Sabbath. And people came to Jesus. Why is that significant? Well, they wouldn't have come to Jesus until after 6 p.m. Because it was the Sabbath. It was against the law to go and get healed on the Sabbath. So they wouldn't have started even coming to Jesus to be healed till after 6. And you have to understand, if, if as it says there, that uh, uh, after sunset... Uh, the whole town gathered. The whole town. The whole town right next to him had 1,500 inhabitants. That's Capernaum. If you look at the town nearby of Magdala, it had 40,000 people. So you've got to figure, church, Jesus didn't even start healing all these people until after 6 p.m. But yet he still took time to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to pray. Was Jesus tired? Yes. Was he human? Absolutely. We know that because he was asleep in the boat when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee, if you remember, and they had to wake him up. He got tired. He was a human. He was a man. But he still got up. Why? Because he recognized that his first priority was to God. That's what I tell couples at their wedding day. I say, listen, you're going to have a lot of priorities in your life. There are going to be uh, things about your job that you're going to have to do. You have kids that you're going to have. There's going to be hobbies that you're going to want to do. There's going to be house projects. But your first priority has to be to God. It's got to be to God. Jesus was never too busy to pray, was he? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, it says in Matthew. So, Jesus first understood his, his priority was to God. Secondly, what did he do? He removed himself from distraction. He removed himself from distraction. The rest of Mark 1.35 says he left the house and went to a what? Solitary place. A solitary place. A quiet place. Why did he need to go to a quiet place? There's a number of reasons. The Pharisees were looking for him because they wanted to trap him. The Herodians were looking for him because they wanted to kill him. The disciples were looking for him because they were looking for leadership and direction. And all the people wanted to be healed, so they were looking for him as well. So what did he need to do? He needed to leave and go to a solitary place, a quiet place. Why do we do that? So we can know and hear God's voice. Last week, John Guest used the passage from Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. 
It doesn't say, know that I am God, then be still. Be still and know that I am God. We've got to free ourselves from distractions. You know, I talked to a lot of people in my office about, you know, various situations in life. And I said, you know, are you praying about that? And they said, yes. On my way to work, uh, in, in the traffic, when the radio's blaring, and I'm on my phone uh, talking about my next business meeting, yes, I'll say a prayer to God about His uh, direction in my life. I say, that's, uh, that's pretty hard to do. All these distractions flying out you. The music, your phone, the busyness, looking at your schedule. We need to take time in the quiet, in the solitude. In the solitude. So we can hear God's voice better. So we can express our hope and trust in Him. So we can give Him praise as well. You know, I, I can imagine that Jesus was giving praise to the Father. For all the healings that just took place. We've got to take time. Not only confess our sins, not only to give thanks, not only to, to lift our prayers and requests up, but to give God praise. So, he understood his first priority was to spend time with the Father. He was never too busy to pray. Secondly, he realized that he needed to free himself from distraction. He needed to get to a solitary place, a quiet place. The third action is he spent time with the Father where he prayed. We say, well, of course, Jared, that's what he's doing in his quiet time. He's, he's praying. Well, let me encourage you that when we have our quiet time, we need to be praying. You know, a lot of people will say, I'll say, you know, how are you spending your quiet time? And I've heard this one a lot. Well, I went out, I had to, needed to get some quiet time, so I went out fishing. I had my quiet time, fishing. And I'll say, wait, wait, it was quiet while you were fishing or you spent time praying while you were fishing. No, no, it was my quiet time. It was my time away from distraction. No, 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 I'm, I'm not asking you if it was quiet. I'm, I'm asking you, did you spend time praying? A lot of people say, you know, my quiet time is the area in the morning when I get up and I'll exercise. That's good. Those are all benefits. Fishing is a, is a wonderful benefit. Going golfing is a wonderful benefit. Going off on our own and having some downtime is a wonderful benefit. And that's not a bad thing. Those aren't inherently bad things. My question is, is, are you actually taking time throughout your day and praying and spending time with the Father? Because we could say we can have our quiet time, alone time. And that's good for the, for the body. My question is, is what's good for the soul? Are you making time to spend in prayer? Slowing down your day? So yes, go do your, the, the, the leisurely activities we have, the hobbies we have, the things that, that quiet us are good. But don't consider that our quiet time. Because those are benefits for the body and not for the soul. Jesus not only went to uh, realize that he... He needed to make it a priority to spend time in prayer. Not only did he go to a quiet place, but he prayed. But he prayed. He prayed. And what happens when he prayed? Notice there, he recognized and he realized the mission that he had, his purpose here on earth. Mark 1.38 says, this is why I've come. Let us go somewhere else. Why? Because this is why I've come. Jesus recognized from his quiet time of prayer that God was prompting him. He recognizes his true mission here on earth. He heard the voice of his Father even clearer. And then what happened? 
Point number four, action number four. He took action based on the promptings. What does he say in verse 38? Look at it. It says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. This is why I've come. So the disciples come and they say, listen, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. It makes the most sense for you right now to come with us because everybody's over here. So, Jesus, you're going to come with us over here because this makes the most sense for you. Everybody's waiting for you. But Jesus says, no, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. He took action based on the promptings he got from the Father. It would have made the most sense for him to stay exactly where he was. Because that's where the people were. But he said, no, I received this prompting. I'm going to go somewhere else and preach there also. You know, so many of us get promptings from God. We will say, listen, I, I spend time in prayer. And we'll get these promptings, but we often ignore them, don't we? We often ignore them. Some of you get the nudge while you're here in church, hey, maybe I should be using my gifts to serve. But no, 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 no. That's not for me. That must be for somebody else. Or maybe there's a family member that really needs to hear about Jesus. Maybe somebody else will tell them. I I sense that every time I see them, but I'm not going to go and take action based on that. That's got to be for somebody else. I feel that God is going to use me more in my workplace. I feel that. But no, 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 that can't be for me. That's got to be for somebody else. Jesus understood that. He, he, took, he took that prompting from his Father and took action based on that prompting. Oh, church, if we could just do that, not only pray, lift our requests up to God, not only ask for direction in life, but move based on that. So many of us fail to do that because, one, we're fearful. There's no way God could ever use me. There's no way God could ever want me in that ministry to serve. There's no way God could ever use me to uh, talk to my family member about Jesus. There's no way God could ever use me in my workplace. There's no way. It doesn't make sense for us. Oftentimes, not only are we fearful, but we're confused about the promptings as well aren't we? We're confused. We don't know that that's really something from God. So we keep praying and asking the same thing over and over and over again. You've heard uh, the story, the joke of the man who was uh, uh, drowning. There was a major flood, and he started praying, God, save me from the flood. And so the, uh, the neighbor came by in the big pickup truck, and he said, hey, come in to my truck. And the guy said, no, God's going to save me. Then the water got a little higher, and he had to go up to his roof, and then the paddle boat came by. And the man said, come in the boat, I'll save you. The guy said, no, Jesus is going to save me, I've been praying. Go ahead. Then the rescue boat comes by, because he's on the top of his roof. They said, jump in the boat, we'll save you. No, I'm praying, God God will save me from this. And then the helicopter comes. They say, grab this rope, and the man says, no way, God's going to save me. I've been praying that God will save me. Then the man dies. Goes to heaven. He says, God, why didn't you save me? He said, I did try to save you. I sent you a boat. I sent you a truck. I sent you a paddle boat and a helicopter. And you didn't take any of them. Oftentimes we get confused because we go, we're not getting the answer that we want. The promptings that we get are not something that we want to do. We're we're confused or we're scared to act. And I'm telling you from a personal example, my own life, that, yeah, these things are... 
they don't make a lot of sense oftentimes. But we got to be bold and determined, fearless to act upon them. Fearless to act upon them. You know, the question I get a lot is, how do we know, how do we discern the promptings we receive? When God's calling us to something in life, how do we discern that? Some of us have major decisions that we have to make right now. Maybe it's not even a point of God using us, but it's a major life decision, a major direction in life. And we're praying, God, give me wisdom. Show me the way. Open up the right doors. Tell me what I need to talk to my kid about who's struggling. Tell me how I can act differently with my wife. Tell me how I can act differently in life. God, give me wisdom. Give me a prompting. How do we, how do we know that? How do we discern that? Well, if you're reading along in the book with us, I'm too busy not to pray, talk about a number of these things of how do we discern the promptings we receive. receive. But the first one is this. All promptings from God are consistent with his word. You have to understand, all promptings from God are consistent with his word. I met a man uh, a number of years back who was uh, in my office, and he was saying that God wants me to be happy, so I think I'm supposed to leave my wife so that I can have a happier, more fulfilled life. I said, but you are correct. God does want you to be happy, but that's not what he's saying to you. Because God's never going to tell you something that's inconsistent with his word. It talks about a man and a woman becoming one flesh. What man has put together, let no man pull apart. There's no way God is telling you that. Yes, God wants you to be happy, but is he telling you something different to make your marriage better? All promptings are consistent with God's word. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. So where do we find help with this? Because there's oftentimes, and I know I've preached this a number of years back, there's oftentimes where things are a bit of a gray area in life. There's a bit of a gray area in life. How do I know what job? The Bible doesn't tell me what job I am to take. The Bible does not tell me who I'm supposed to marry. The Bible doesn't tell me exactly what I need to talk to my kid about or how do I treat my wife. The two best verses that I ever in my studies that have been beneficial for me and that I've shared with others in counseling is this, is 1 Corinthians 6.12. So I have the right to do anything, you can, you can say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. The other one is 1 Corinthians 10.23. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Go back to that first verse, 1 Corinthians 6.12. I have the right to do everything, but not everything's beneficial for my life. I have the right to do everything, but I won't be mastered by anything. And the third one, the next one, I have the right to do everything, but not everything is constructive. So my question to you as we try to discern God's prompting, uh, as we try to discern what God wants us in life, my question to, I always ask people is, is it beneficial? Is it going to master you? And is it constructive or edifying for others? Is it beneficial? The person that you're going to marry... God does not say who you're supposed to marry. Is that person beneficial for you? Is that person going to pull you closer to God or pull you away from God? Is she going to be an encouragement to you? Is he going to be an encouragement to you or pull you away from God? Will it be beneficial for you? Will the thing that you're about to engage into master you? Will it become an obsession for you? 
The job that you are about to take, why are you taking that job? It's because I really want to have uh, more money because I don't feel secure and I want to have as much money as I possibly can. Will that master you? There's a potential of that. Will the hobby or job that you're going to get, get into become an obsession for you? God's prompted me to start a golf league. It's wonderful. Will that become an obsession for you? Will it be beneficial for you? Will it master you? And then will it be constructive? Will it edify others? Will it edify others? 1 Corinthians 10.23 goes on to say, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Everything's beneficial, but not everything is constructive. The rest of that verse is, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Nobody should seek the good, his own good, but the good of others. Will it be beneficial for you? Will it pull you to God? Will it draw you close to Him? Will it master you? Will it gain control of your life? And thirdly, will it be constructive? Will it help edify others in your life? A good example of that was there was a, there was a guy that uh, I had talked to a while back who was trying to discern uh, God's calling in his life, and there was a job that, was, that he had or could have had. But he came to me and said, Listen, my marriage is a mess. My kids are a mess. I'm never home. This job is going to require me to be gone twice as much. Jared, could you give me some guidance in that? I said, is it beneficial? Sure. Is it going to master you? No. Is it constructive? Is it going to help your marriage and family? No. No. We've got to be able to put all these things through some kind of litmus, lit, litmus test in the Bible. Because some of the things that we go through life are gray areas, aren't they? We aren't sure if really they're promptings from God. We have to understand that every prompting from God is consistent with His Word. All promptings from God are consistent with His Word. Not only that, but all promptings from God in relation to that usually involve servanthood. Servanthood. Related to the last verse. They usually involve servanthood. They're never self-seeking. Never self-serving. They usually involve servanthood. As we look at Acts 20, Paul says this, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, Paul says. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardships are facing me. Paul is going based on a prompting that he had from God. It was, a, it was not a self-seeking prompting. It was not something that was going to build him up. It was for the benefit of others. Promptings from God usually involve servanthood. They're not self-seeking. They're not self-seeking. Which relates to the last one. How do we know that the promptings, we know the promptings we receive? All promptings from God are usually consistent with the person God made you to be. With the person God made you to be. When Paul went, when Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem, that wasn't contrary to what God made him to be. That wasn't contrary to his gifts. God perfectly designed him to go, and he's going to use him mightily. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one of you should use whatever gifts you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Each one of you should use the gifts you receive. 
I am not called to the music ministry. That is absolutely for sure. Brad has, I've asked Brad a number of times if I could sing. He says no. No, I've never asked. I'm not gifted musically. I know that. God also isn't calling me to be a professional doctor either. Medical doctor. Pastor Jamie knows this. One thing you'll find out about me is I'm the queasiest person that you're going to run into. I've passed out twice giving my own blood. The worst uh, uh, day here at church is when the blood bank van is sitting out front of our church. A few years ago, I had to go in there to tell them they needed to move the van uh, a few feet. Almost passed out right in the middle of that van. Hospital visits are a challenge for me when people show me all the cords, things hanging out of their body. I don't like it. God's not calling me to be a professional medical doctor. I know that for sure. But he might be calling you to be. God's also not calling me to use my business-savvy mind so that I can go off and, and, and make money to be able to give it away. God's not calling me to that. God's calling me uniquely differently than he's calling you in life. God's given me gifts just as God's given you gifts. And God's going to use those gifts. He's not going to prompt us to do something that is inconsistent with who he made you to be. I am uniquely and wonderfully made, it says. We've got to know that, church, that we're uniquely and wonderfully made. We've all got gifts. I love the people that are up here singing on a a regular basis. They've got gifts. The people that are downstairs working in the children's ministry have unique gifts. Those people in the business field who are using their business as they meet people to affect Jesus, who can talk to other businessmen, they're using their gifts. God is using them mightily. And He's made you unique as well. God's calling me to be the senior pastor here at Christ Church. I know that with the bottom of my heart. I know that God has put things in my life and God's prepared me to lead this church. That's why people ask, are you nervous? No, I'm not nervous. Why? Because I know all throughout my life, if I follow God's prompting in my life, things will just unfold naturally. I'll be blessed because of it. Why? Because God's in control. He's the one prompting me to this. Was I banging down the door to be the senior pastor of Christ's church? No. But I said, listen, God, if you want to use me in this place, you open the doors and prepare me. Does that make me humble? Absolutely. Why? Because I know that if I follow his prompting, follow his leading, God's going to use me mightily here at this place, in this church. Church, we need to be a church about prayer, don't we? We need to lift our requests up to God. Yes. We need to understand that we're never too busy to pray. But we also have to understand that when we pray, God's going to prompt us to action. The question is, is whether or not you're going to follow that prompting. Whether or not you're going to be fearless and step out and follow what God's calling us to do, calling you to do. Church, we have to be a prayer a church about prayer. As it says in James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person, and I know this for sure, the prayer of a righteous person 
is powerful and effective. That's my prayer for myself, my own life. That's my hope and prayer for you. That you understand that through prayer, through prayer of a righteous person, is powerful and effective. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that you not only hear our prayers, but you prompt us to action. Father, there's many things in our own lives right now, Father, many decisions that we have to make in our own lives. Whether it's job-related things, family issues, being used more here at the church or in our workplaces or in our home lives, Father. Father, I pray that you speak to us this week as we spend our quiet time with you. And Father, help us to understand that those promptings are from you and understand and, and discern whether or not they're They're self-seeking. Father, thank you for the fact that you teach us in your word. Thank you for the fact that you do speak to us. You do prompt us to action. I pray that we are fearless and bold to do and go where you've called us to do and go. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if the world's telling us something else, Father, help us to be bold and determined to go where you're calling us to go, to do what you're calling us to do. Thank you for today. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus.